Thank you, choir. And uh, thank you, folks, who uh, shared a testimony this morning. It's not easy to get up in front of folks and talk about your personal life, but it's been good for our church to get a quick snapshot of what has been happening in our church over the last um, several months. And church, let me just say a, a, a personal word. Thank you for the opportunity to do the things that we have done. This has been a good investment for our church. And I know uh, the prospect of talking about finances from God's perspective for nine weeks is a trying thing for any church. Let me, let me share a couple statistics with you that we have um, just rejoiced about. And, and, and folks, these are, these are good things. <clears throat> We've only gotten this information back from about half of our, half of our adults. And so I, I don't know that we can double it. But here's, here's the information that we've heard that's happened over the last nine weeks. It, our couples have paid off over $20,000 in debt in nine weeks. That our families have saved over $25,000. That's a $45,000 turnaround for half of our families. Thirteen people have completely cut up all their credit cards. They're, they're, they're paying cash. They're not going into debt, going to McDonald's. Five couples have said... They're giving substantially more uh, to the church because they, they've learned how to manage things differently. And we've got three people that have said for the very first time in their life, they're giving, period. They're giving, period. And so, uh, thank you. I, I know for some of you, this has not been your cup of tea. I get it. But I tell people sometimes, this is an appropriate illustration. Church is kind of like Thanksgiving. If you don't like the um, asparagus, just pass it because the cranberries are coming. And so if you stay in a church long enough, there's going to be something that gets passed around that you're really going to like. But because um, I, you know, I don't eat the olives, you know, uh, I'll pass that and be glad to give it to my kids because there's something else coming around that I enjoy. And so today, today is our, our last time really talking about this whole refresh series, talking about refreshing our, our finances. And I thought, well, how do I want to talk about this? And I thought, um, I tell my kids every morning when I, when I drive them to school, I, I, we're pulling into, the, uh, pulling into the church, and I, tell, I pray for them. And I say, all right, kids, listen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be a blessing. So I thought about, you know, calling our sermon today, how to be a blessing. Now, the problem with that is I've been around church life long enough to know that that's not necessarily a compliment. You ever, you ever found that guy and you say, bless his heart. <laughs> oh, he's such a blessing. Listen, when I was in third grade, I was a blessing because my teachers told me every week I was a challenge. And so to say, let's be a blessing, mm-mm, we're not going to go there. So we chose a much more boring title talking about what is the relationship between personal finance and corporate rejoicing. You see, how you, how you handle your personal finance can be an issue of corporate rejoicing. We rejoice that people have, have had a, half of our families that have participated have had a $45,000 turnaround in nine weeks. It's amazing. We've got families that have said, you know, I, have all, I always come to church guilty because I know I'm supposed to give, but I'm so broke I can't, I can't be obedient. We've got families that say, we're, we're starting to do that now. And regardless of what you know, who they are and where they sit, there are, are people who know that God is alive and working in their life right now. And so what they're doing with their personal finances is our business. And we have the opportunity to rejoice. 
But there's a, there's a, a book of the Bible that I think perhaps, uh, perhaps better than any other book of the Bible captures this idea of the, the interwovenness of personal finance and corporate rejoicing. It's the book of Philemon. It's a sh- short book, 25 verses. And you'll find it towards the back of your New Testament if you find 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And we're going to look at the book of Philemon here quickly this morning. And I pray that this morning, whether you have been a part of FP or not, that you can catch a vision for God being gracious to you. God being generous to you. So that just like I tell my kids every morning, be a blessing. That you don't go to bed tonight without having blessed somebody. Now, the truth is, Philemon is a very short book, but it contains a very big truth. And in summary, uh, the book of Philemon is about a slave named Onesimus who flees from his master uh, from the city of Colossae and runs to Rome. And while he runs away to Rome, while in Rome, he runs into Paul who just so happened to lead Onesimus' master Philemon to Christ. And so Onesimus thinks he's running away, and he runs into a person that is about to change his life. And it's a superb story. And so we'll begin in uh, verse 3 of the book of Philemon. And we'll see here that after a brief introduction in verses 1 and 2, Paul begins by commending Philemon's character. We see this in verses 3 through 7. Listen along. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you, Philemon, in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. He's saying, Philemon, you have a testimony. And your testimony is that you are a man of faith in that you love Jesus and you love his people. Philemon's a good man. He continues on, verse 6. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. You ever know a guy that... When you spend time with them, you walk away encouraged. Do you have a refresher in your life? I pray that you do. Do you have somebody that refreshes you? Paul says, listen, I'm in, I'm in prison. And he's writing this letter back to Philemon. He says, I'm eating bread and drinking water, and I'm in a dungeon. And you know what? I'm happy because I hear that you're living out what you say you believe. You have a testimony that is reaching me, even in prison, that you are continuing to show Christian character by living out what you say you believe and refreshing the hearts of the saints. He goes on in verses 8 through 16, and basically he's saying that because he knows Philemon's character, it gives him assurance to make a particular request. So he starts off by saying, Philemon, you're a good man. And word is reaching me, even where I'm locked up. 
and I have a request for you. He starts in verse 8. He says, therefore, because of your character, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm an apostle. I'm going to tell you the right thing to do, and I reserve the right to command you to do it. But you know what? You're Philemon. You're a man of good character. I'm not going to command you. I am going to appeal to you through love to do the right thing. That's pretty good. Paul does not command, but rather appeals. <laughs> and listen to what he says in verses uh, 10 and 11. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Now, Paul's in prison, and he says here, I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten. Did Paul have a baby while he was in prison? Most definitely not. That's just not the point. Paul met Onesimus. Onesimus evidently sought Paul out to minister to him while he was in uh, prison. And Paul led Onesimus to Christ. When he says, I've begotten him, he's saying he has come to, he's, he's become spiritually alive through my ministry. And so he says, Philemon, you need to know that your slave Onesimus, who's run away from you, he has come to faith in Christ and he has served me well. Verse 12 through 14, he continues, I am sending him back to you in person. That is, sending you my very heart. I wish to keep him with me so that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. This is Onesimus, your slave, your servant has served me well. But it's not been with your permission. You still retain ownership over him. So he is, he is serving you by serving me. But I didn't want it to be out of compulsion. I wanted to send him back to you. That you may send him back to me. And then here he gets into his request in verses 15 and 16. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while. That you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He says, Philemon, here's what you need to do. You need to unconditionally forgive and restore him without any penalty. Now it's been said in the Roman Empire that 50 million slaves were present. And a slave running away was a very serious charge, punishable by capital punishment, by death. There, was all, there were all kinds of debt that were incurred. We don't know if, uh, if Onesimus even stole property from Philemon to make the trip. As a slave, he certainly didn't have much financial resources. And so he has commended Philemon's character. He has made a substantial request. And with essentially a 16-verse introduction and appeal, Paul then issues his commands, beginning in verse 17. In the first 16 verses of the book of Philemon, there is not a single command. 
There is no command. And then in verses 17 through 21, Paul issues three of them in rapid fire succession. Here's what 17 through 21 says. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Did you see the three commands? Verse 17, Paul says, accept him as you would me. Accept him. Forgive him. And don't just forgive him. Forgive him so much that when he walks back into your house, it's as if the Apostle Paul is your guest. Accept him. Verse 18, he says, if he owes you anything, charge his debts to my account. Now, where's Paul? He's in prison. Does Paul have money? He's not building a $1.9 million mansion. He's a tent maker. He barely survives on what he makes. He makes enough to survive. And what does he say? I don't care how much it is. Whatever Onesimus owes, I will pay the bill in full. Now again, a slave running away is a serious charge punishable by death. Paul is, in effect, buying back Onesimus' life. Paying for him. And he throws in, in verse 19, By the way, Philemon, uh, I want you to recognize that um, I led you to Christ, so you owe me your life as well. I'm just saying. In case you needed a reminder. Oh, and by the way, if you're in Christ and he's in Christ, you two are brothers now. Just in case you needed to remember. And then in verse 20, he issues his third and final command. He says, refresh my heart. Now, what do we know about Philemon's character? You remember Paul's prayer at the very beginning of the book. He said, listen, I hear this story about you. Uh, Verse 7, I have come to have joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Philemon's a refresher. He says, Philemon... You have refreshed all the saints that you run into. Your runaway slave, Onesimus, he's in the family now. Refresh him too. Treat him like a brother in Christ. Do what you do, Philemon, but do it for Onesimus. Refresh his heart as you have done for other believers. And then did you see what he said in verse 21? I have confidence in your obedience because I know that you will do even more than what I say. Paul says you're not going to be content with mere obedience. You're going to do more. Now what do we know? Paul is being an example of generosity. How? By paying Onesimus's debts and encouraging Philemon to be generous too. Some Bible scholars look at verse 21 where Paul says, I know that you will refresh his heart and that you'll do more than what I'm requesting. Some people believe 
that what Paul was talking about in code language there was that Philemon actually freed Onesimus. One of the cool things from church history that we know, there was a man in the very first century around 100 uh, A.D. named Ignatius who was a letter writer. He was a bishop, and he would write letters to uh, the different churches. And it just so happened that Ignatius talked about a bishop at Colossae, where Philemon and Onesimus are, named Onesimus. And Onesimus was responsible for the personal letter of Philemon to be saved and preserved and handed down today. It's in your Bible. Now, who do you think would be most interested in preserving a personal letter? Could it be that this man, Onesimus, who was um, guilty to the point of death, had been freed, and not just had become a Christian, became a leader in the church, and helped to collect letters that Paul wrote that were actually included in the Scriptures. What an amazing thing that God had worked this out. So some see verse 21 is implying that Onesimus was freed. And I think as we look at this generosity that Paul just lavished upon this runaway slave and that he encouraged Philemon to be generous too, it brings us to a really important issue. And it's understanding why generosity is a gospel issue. Generosity is not optional for a believer. Generosity is a gospel issue. Four points. Number one, we were all Onesimuses. We we are all runaways from our master. We have all rebelled against our creator. Now, our social status and the era that we live in may be different, but the story of Onesimus is the story of every Christian. That we have rebelled and run away from our master in the same way that Onesimus did. We are all debtors. We are all in trouble. We all need someone outside of us to help. But just like point number two, Onesimus had someone to help him. Someone pleaded on our behalf and willingly paid our debt. Our debt according to the Scriptures, was the same debt as Onesimus's death. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, The wages of sin is death. And our debt, according to the Scriptures, was spiritual death. But Jesus came and pleaded on behalf of those who put their faith in Him, and willingly died an excruciating death on the cross to pay the debt of sin that we could not pay. Point three, through this advocate, we can be restored and even adopted into the family. Paul told Philemon, you refreshed the brother's heart. You have refreshed the brother's hearts. Now that Onesimus is a believer, refresh his heart too. Welcome him into the family. You might wonder exactly what the application to a sermon like this is. What are the chances of you being in Rome and running into a runaway slave? 
Probably not a lot. Happens all the time, right? No, not quite. The point is this, number four. As one was generous to us, we are to be generous to others. God has not saved you to soak and to sit. God has saved you to be a dispenser of his grace to others. The greatest mark of whether someone has tasted God's grace is not whether they stock their refrigerator full, but whether they hand it out to others. And the temptation is for us to be grace hoarders instead of grace givers. And so as Christ was generous to us, we are challenged, we are encouraged, we are pleaded with to live out that generosity to allow people to see Christ's generosity in us. It's been said, and it is true, that we are never more like Christ than when we give. If that's the measure of Christ-likeness, how like our Lord are you? You may never be a rescuer of runaway slaves, but the truth is your generosity is not limited to just that action. Do you want to be generous? Your generosity is really only limited by your imagination. We have a video that I want you to watch about a church couple that found a creative way to be generous. You know how sometimes it feels like life just happens? You know, just random things seem to fill your day. Things with little or no consequence to anyone else. I mean, I know God's in control of my life, but I never really saw how much he was weaving my story with other people's stories, and really, into his story. Well, that's all changed. It was a cold day, the kind where you really don't want to have some long conversation outside with someone, especially with someone you don't really know. But that's exactly what God had in mind. Amy and I had just eaten lunch at Dumplin's downtown Franklin, and we were walking to the car and we see this couple that I thought I recognized from church. It would have been awkward just to walk by them and not say anything, so we stopped and said hey and did the whole, yeah, yeah, you guys go to fellowship thing, whatever. Well, we start talking and the whole Dave Ramsey thing comes up. They asked us where we were in the process, and I told them that so far we paid off 60000 but still had $10,000 left to go. They asked us what we would do when we were debt-free, and I laughed and told them, well, I told my kids I'd buy them a trampoline, but we really wanted to adopt, and we committed to being debt-free before we did. The whole conversation only lasted about three minutes. It was like, nice to meet you. That was random. Well... The next day, that random person shows up at my office with this brand new trampoline. I couldn't believe it. It was like, my kids are going to freak. I set it up that night, and my kids jumped on that thing for four hours. I mean, we didn't even know these people. They didn't have to do that. I mean, really, that's pretty generous. Well, the next day, I get an email from the same lady saying, Oh, you guys seem like a sharp couple, and we'd love to come by and talk to you about something. I emailed her back and said, that sounds like a multi-level marketing proposal. 
And if it was, we really weren't interested. Of course, she says it's not that sort of deal, but she was really persistent. She even called Amy. Amy had been sick, and it really wasn't a great time to have company over. Our house is a wreck, and we didn't feel like picking it up. We said everything short of, please don't come over to my house. So they show up, and I'm like, here we go. Let's get this over with. Don't say yes to anything. I couldn't believe they sunk their claws into us with that trampoline to get us involved in some pyramid scheme. Anyway, so we small talked for about five minutes, and then right when I thought they were about to drop the bomb, they did. But it wasn't the bomb I was expecting. So the lady says, well, we told you we'd only be a few minutes, and I really don't know how to say this, but we want to pay off your $10,000 left in debt so you guys can adopt. She pulls out her checkbook and goes, how do you spell your guys' names? What? Are you kidding me? Are you for real? I mean, who does that? Who writes somebody a check for $10,000 and gives it to people they don't even know? So they give us a check and they said, just don't act weird around us at church and just don't tell anybody it was us. And they drove off. I mean, Amy and I stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. And we cried and we screamed and we ran all over the yard and the house. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it was beyond belief. We realized nine months later when we brought Malaya home, the check they wrote us was dated nine months prior to Malaya's due date. They gave us that money right about the time our daughter was conceived. It was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off that debt. We felt called to adopt, but we simply couldn't afford to do it on our own. We found that this random couple had already adopted four children and felt a calling to continue to serve through adoption. Rather than bringing more children into their home, they decided to help others adopt. It didn't just happen. It wasn't random at all. God knew his plan. He had just invited us to walk with him through this process. He was weaving our callings, our stories together for us to love and to care for each other, to make a beautiful tapestry for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. All of you interested in adopting, we'll have a meeting right here at the front as soon as the service is over. The point isn't adoption, is it? It's not. The point is being generous. And the point is being generous to the point that you don't even care that you get recognition for the good things that you do. They didn't even know the couple's last name had met by chance on the street. And the question for you this morning is this. Even if you don't have the opportunity to be generous, don't you want to? Do you see the power that can be unleashed when God's people don't hold on to the things that he has given to you? When you hold them like this instead of like this? There's one last point that I want you to catch, and it's a, it's a point that Paul makes. <clears throat> In verse 15, he, he says this. He says, by the way, I want you to know, Onesimus is now a believer. And in verse 15, he says this, For perhaps he was, for this reason, 
separated from you for a while so that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, as a beloved brother in Christ. Paul says, perhaps the reason Onesimus ran away was so that he could come to Christ. Perhaps that was God's will. As difficult as that may be for Philemon to hear, and as much as he may not like it, the truth is that was the end result. Onesimus is running away, led him to faith in Christ. And I ask this question. What if, what if, in the same way, God has provided you with so much so that you might be generous to others. Friends, we have to affirm that the cross doesn't just save our soul. It changes everything. Our motivations for everything. To be God's people, recognize that because you have been given so much, you need to go and you need to give. Pray with me, please. God, we thank you for being a giving God. <clears throat> not a single person would be in this building today if your son had not given his life. We had rebelled, we had run away, we had said, We don't need you, and yet you sent your son to pay our debt that we might be restored to you. Lord, I pray this day that if there are any among us that don't know your generosity in the giving of your son, that they might today just say that they're tired of living their way and that they want to live God's way. They want to recognize what Christ has done. We will rejoice. But Lord, most of us in this room have trusted you as our Lord and Savior. And for us, the invitation is no less real. We must be generous. Because we say that you are, but when people look at us, if they don't see it, then we make you out to be a liar. So God, break our hearts.